Hello everybody and welcome back to Witch Fix. Um, today is kind of a cool episode for me because I get to review probably one of my favourite books of all time. In fact, if you ask me what my favourite book is, 70% of the time I would probably say this one. It, it gets knocked from pole position a few times um, when I'm reading something extra good. But this is by far probably one of my diehard favourite novels. And it's one that I read originally when I was a teenager. I bought this... Um, as a paperback from an actual shop because it was the early 2000s and I didn't really do internet shopping yet and I have owned the same copy of this book ever since then when I was about I guess 12 when I bought this uh, so I've owned this for ooh, in four years I will have owned this for 20 years so two decades and it's probably one of the only books that I haven't had to repurchase for the podcast because having got rid of my teenage copies of it and it is called The Raging Quiet, as you can tell from the title, and it is by Cheryl Jordan. Now, this is a book sort of about witchcraft, um, in that although none of the characters in it are actual witches, it does feature a witch trial, accusations of witchcraft, uh, a little bit of information about what that actually means. And also the main character, who I absolutely adore, is called Marnie, and has what I kind of think of as being the most witchy personality in books in that she has this kind of openness and free thinkingness which was kind of punished in people during the witch trials um she speaks out on things that she doesn't feel are right uh, just because they're the social norm um which again is something that people were persecuted for and would lead to suspicion being leveled at them and also there's a great scene in the book where she um goes to standing stones to kind of see what's going on up there and what, what it's like uh, with another character who I'll explain about in a moment and dances under the moon in those standing stones and she has what I kind of think of as a, a pagan soul in that she's really connected to nature and also to those old customs because she comes from a small farming community where they are still practiced so all of that is what I really like about her character and what makes her relevant to the specific nature of this podcast. I'm going to read you the blurb from the back of the book and then I'm going to explain just a teeny bit about the plot. Marnie and Raver are both outsiders. Each is set apart from the community around them, Marnie because she is a newcomer, having been brought to the seaside village by her new and much older husband, and Raver because he is the village lunatic. The distrust surrounding Marnie increases when her husband suddenly dies. Her subsequent isolation pushes her towards Raver and an important discovery. The villagers have mistaken his deafness for madness. The two outsiders soon develop a rudimentary sign language, but their precious new friendship is cut short when the villagers misconstrue their strange private communication and put Marnie on trial for witchcraft. Um, and then a review from the Daily Telegraph says, The Raging Quiet is both a moving love story and a parable about the continued bigotry of humans in the face of the different and the unfamiliar. Which is great, and I can honestly say more than that, but I'm going to because otherwise this episode would only be four minutes long. So there's quite a lot of information in that blurb, basically, and I'm going to trigger one here for sexual assault because there are things of that in the novel and in fact quite um, a moderately graphic scene, I would say. Also trigger one for some ableism in this book because obviously there's the plot line, which is quite major, of the fact that Raver is deaf. And at various points during the review, I will kind of refer to the thing that is wrong with Raver. And that isn't because I think having 
any condition like deafness is something that is wrong with you. But I'm referring to it in the sense of in the plot, the characters know that there is something different about Raver um, that makes him act in this way. And they're not really sure what it is. And they view it as very much a negative thing. So that's where that's coming from. Um, Raver himself is a great character. And I really love the way in which this book kind of explores the experience of being born deaf in a time when people didn't know what that was and they wouldn't understand why it was that people wouldn't learn to speak um, as a child and his kind of experience of being a foundling child and being taken care of but then people becoming afraid of him when he didn't become like them as he grew up and kind of stayed strange and other and I like the way that that is tied into Marnie's story a lot so I think this is a fantastic book for a lot of reasons and one of those reasons is just the way it explores Raver and his whole character and how all that comes together and the development you see in him through the book once he has people he can talk to and who understand him and care about him it's really heartwarming and one of the reasons that I absolutely love this novel. When the book starts Marnie has been married off to the son of the lord for whom her parents work on his land. Her dad has been struck down by this mysterious and some might say supernatural illness. Well, he's actually had his, I think, a stroke, which has led to him being paralysed in bed and he can't work anymore. And because he can't work, they're going to be thrown out of their house uh, and they will be penniless because the house comes with the job and they'll have nothing. And now the son of the Lord comes and he's a lot older than Marnie. I think she's like 15, 16, uh, maybe a little bit older than that. But him, he basically says he'll marry her and they'll get to stay in their house they'll be provided for but Marnie has to marry him and move away with him so this is seen as incredibly generous offer her mum's really happy about it Marnie marries this guy and she's kind of shy of him but she thinks he's you know a good person and she's concerned that she's going to be a good wife for him and all that stuff unfortunately things start going wrong pretty fast he takes her quite far away from where she's grown up and her community to a tiny seaside village uh, where she's obviously treated as an outsider and they live in a, basically a shack that is really far away from the village itself so very isolated and in need of a lot of work and Marnie is distressed by this because obviously this man is rich and powerful and she didn't really realise that they'd be living in a shack with only half a roof on it uh, and he's quite mysterious about the reasons they've come to this village and to this house in particular and there is a mystery running through the story as to why that is. Uh, Marnie kind of tries to be a good wife to him and doesn't really know a lot about how marriage is meant to work and unfortunately he's not a very nice man. He takes to the drink quite strongly and forces himself on her as well which leads to her being quite emotional and quite vulnerable and she has no one to turn to. I really feel for Marnie in this book. She's a really sympathetic protagonist very bright, very emotionally vulnerable and just generally a really great protagonist to spend time with. The other persons or person, persons, people that she meets in the village of note are the village priest and I'll get to him in a minute because he is one of my favourite characters and Raver who is a young boy sort of about her age who she sees being whipped in the town when they arrive and he is making these ungodly howling noises and uh, the village people are trying to whip the demons out of him, which is really upsetting. And, you know, if, if you're going into the book, be forewarned that there's quite a lot of that, like, ableism and uh, 
weird horrible scenes like that in the book now Marnie's initially quite frightened of Raver because he just kind of comes up to her and he can't speak because obviously he's deaf and has never learned how to speak and the community doesn't understand what is wrong with him and neither does Marnie and so no one is trying to communicate with him or help him in any way which is quite sad but Marnie eventually realises that what is up with Raver is that he can't hear and she realises this because she takes him one night when he is badly wounded and like tries to look after him so she starts trying to invent sign language basically and teach him how to communicate with her and he's obviously quite intelligent takes to this they become far firm friends unfortunately because of the suspicious death of her husband for reasons that were entirely accidental and because of this strange language they've developed they try money for witchcraft um there's other stuff going on in the plot as well kind of machinations behind the scene from the lord's brother so um lots of stuff to do with the mystery there but in the end it is Marnie who's put on trial for witchcraft and that is kind of the focus of the story now the reason the priest is one of my favorite characters is because he doesn't really believe in witchcraft he likes Marnie he wants to help her he wants to help the community and be a good priest and I think it's really nice because uh, usually the clergy are kind of demonized in books that center around the witch trials and there's good reason for that because obviously that's where a lot of the witch hunting fervor came from is like religion at the time and religious leaders in the community but it also kind of comes from this like mob mentality of uneducated frightened people and he is educated he knows that this is kind of bullshit he knows Marnie he knows that she's not evil but at the same time he has to try and stop the community from just taking matters into their own hands and it's quite an interesting character in the book because he's caught between wanting to protect Marnie and wanting to serve the community but also wanting to keep the community from acting their own justice without the rule of law which is sort of what he represents so that's really interesting the love story between Marnie and Raver who eventually gets renamed to Raven um is also really interesting and really lovely and does have a happy ending which is always nice in books of this nature so i really think it's sweet um it's a great read uh very emotional very mysterious as well there's like a mystery running through it as to why she was brought to this house in the middle of nowhere there's some great scenes where she gets to confront her family she like goes home to visit them and takes raven with her because she wants him to meet her family and to get away from the village that he's always lived in and been abused by and her mum kind of turns against her the community doesn't want her there and I think it's a good look at the rights and the wrongs of the kind of world at the time there's some sort of strong veins of feminism running through the book as well which is really enjoyable so it is a really good teen read and also an adult read as well so I just really love this book and I'm going to read you just a little bit and I've chosen a section just where Marnie is meeting the priest uh, and thanking him for giving her some eggs previously and he's explaining to her about Raver and sort of about the villagers and basically how things are in the book before she got there. How is your husband? He's well, mending the thatch. Watching her, the priest noticed how the laughter died in her eyes and something like despair came over her. How long have you been married, child? he asked. Two days, she replied. For a while, silence hung heavy in the sunlit garden. Then the priest said very gently, All great changes in our lives are hard to abide. 
Sometimes at first they seem almost unbearable, overwhelming, and we think we should never find contentment in them. But all things work together for our good, and God always has our happiness in mind. Marnie looked away, biting her lip, and tears ran down her cheeks. The priest wiped his sleeve across his face again and waited for her to compose herself. They were interrupted by the mad youth. He came from the graveyard, leaping over the far wall into the garden, not noticing that he crushed young cabbages. Seeing his work ruined, the priest jumped up and waved his arms at him. Mind your feet, Raver, he shouted, pointing at the little plants. Startled, the youth looked down, noticed the trampled plants and trod more carefully. He stepped over the wall and touched Marnie's arm, making strange noises in his throat. Suddenly he crouched down, forming a beak in front of his face with his hands and flapping his elbows like wings, bobbing his head up and down and waggling his backside. It was a fair imitation of a chicken laying an egg, and Marnie giggled through her sobs, wiping her eyes with her hands. The priest chuckled too and said, I know who she is, Raver, and she says she got the eggs. You did well and I am pleased. Is that your name? Marnie asked the youth. Raver. He doesn't talk, said the priest. He just makes sounds and sometimes if he's angry or upset, he raves. That's why they call him Raver. Where does he live? Nowhere and everywhere. He's an outcast, survives as best he can. He has no home, no family. As a babe, he was left on the doorstep of one of the houses, brought here, no doubt, by some poor mother from another village, unwed and unable to look after him. One of the women took him in, but couldn't keep him long. He was devilish wicked when he was little, still is sometimes, and impossible to live with. Without warning, a kind of rage gets into him, and he goes like a wild beast. Pray you never see it, for it's a fearful thing. Mostly he's passable, though he hasn't got a mind such as you or I have. Who looks after him now? she asked. I do my best to show him charity. I feed him when he's around and try to encourage the villagers to do the same, but they'd sooner whip him, though they don't dare if I'm about. That's why he's always out in the fields, away from people. Does he really have devils, father? It seems that way, when he's gripped in his madness. Other times I think it's the spirit of Christ himself shines out of him. Where does he sleep? I don't know. The village folk says he sleeps in a tomb. I've tried to get him to stay in my house, but he won't. He's wild unknowing like an animal. Heedless of the discussion, the youth picked up the cups from the place on the wall where the priest had placed them. Throwing back his head, he tipped the last drops of cider into his open mouth. His throat was long and lithe, and the dark hair curled in its damp hollows. I'll get you a drink in a moment, Raver, said the priest. The youth ignored him, licking the rim of the cup with his tongue. All the time he grinned at Marnie, his amazing grey eyes sparkled in the sun. And then there's a section slightly further on from that when they're discussing the previous owner of the cottage that Marnie's husband has moved them into. Father, she said, looking at him straight, what is wrong with the house in the cove? Folks have been talking, have they? He said angrily. I'll bang their stupid skulls together. What's wrong with it? Nothing, child. Something is. Is there a curse on it? I don't think it's a curse so much as the woman who last lived in it. My husband's grandmother. Is that his connection with it? He inherited the cottage when his father died. He said his grandmother owned it, but it hasn't been lived in since, and when I spoke a blessing before we went in, he laughed and said it would need more than a blessing to undo the thing that she put on it. So you put a blessing on it, did you? That was wise. The woman who lived there, she was a, a king's mistress, they say. The king visited her there in that cottage, so the story goes, and after the village folk used to hear her singing at night when the moon was full, calling her paramour back to her. And if he didn't come, then she went to him, flying on her broom. So they said. She was a witch. That was what they called her. Whether she was or not, is for Christ to judge. So just in that section, 
sort of introduces the three main characters of Raver, the priest and Marnie. Um, I really like it. As I said, I kind of like the fact that although the priest is trying to do his best, he isn't as prepared as Marnie is to try and interpret what it is that is happening with Raver and why it is that Raver acts the way he does. Basically because he's frustrated that he can't communicate with people. He explains it later via sign language that he's frustrated because he sees people flapping their mouths at each other and they get what they want from each other. They are able to buy things, ask for things. But when he does it, everyone gets angry at him because of the sounds he's making and they think that he's possessed and they whip him. And he doesn't understand, just like Marnie doesn't understand why people are so against her just because she's new uh, and younger than her husband. All these things outside of her control, but people punish her for anyway. So I kind of like the idea that the village is extremely close minded. The priest is kind, but also kind of close minded, kind of set in what he thinks is true. And because Marnie is younger, because she is different and new, she's able to reinterpret these things. And there's something about like esoteric wisdom in that, which I really like. Anyway, um, I definitely think you should give this book a try, give it a read. It's not incredibly long. It's about 300 pages. But it's very well written, very exciting and interesting. There's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of elements to the plot. There's the mystery about, you know, the woman who was the king's lover, uh, about her house. Uh, and there's all this stuff going on with Marnie and her family and with Raver as well. And at the core of it is also kind of a, a teen love story, which is very um, compelling. And I do like both of the characters a lot. I would say this is probably my favourite YA book with like witchy overtones. So I'd be really happy if you guys, if you buy any of the novels that I've talked about on this podcast, if you give The Raging Choir by Cheryl Jordan a try, because it is one of my favourites. And do let me know what you thought of it, if you have given it a read, if you read it when you were a teenager like I did, because this was my Twilight Man, this was it for me. This was my favourite book as a teenager. Uh, let me know what you thought of it. And you can do so on Twitter, by email, commenting on the YouTube video, all the usual ways. And uh, just get in touch and let me know what you think of it. And in the meantime, I will see you in the next one. Bye!